I felt this love. And this love was divinely curated precisely for my specific need. And this was the love of snipers in the forest. So Marine veteran, activist, pretty much just all around cool dude. That's what I get. <laughs> right on. That's, is, that, is that accurate so far? Hey, it takes a cool dude to know a cool dude, man. So Touche. Touche. I'll take that. So I just wanted to go ahead and lean in and start talking about Operation EVAC. I've been seeing you active with that a lot, Operation EVAC, EVAC being an acronym for Educating Veterans About Cannabis. Yes, sir. So without me butchering a synopsis of what you guys do, can you just let me know in a nutshell, what is your goal with Operation EVAC? I love it, man. Thank you. Uh, So we're essentially in the veteran suicide prevention and opiate overdose prevention business. Uh, Our mission is to support the growth and healing of veterans through mutual assistance, personal development, and community service. Our methodology is recurring 90-minute social support groups in partnership with cannabis dispensaries. And currently, we're hosting 12 groups every month, and we serve about 160 troopers. In the first hour of our practice, we'll have a guided discussion, practice forming positive narratives about our experiences, and avoid the veteran as victim mentality. Then I'll distribute complimentary cannabis products that we call Compassion. Uh, I've distributed hundreds of pounds of cannabis products over the last five years uh, for absolutely free. Um, Because essentially the affordability of cannabis is a primary concern for veterans. Most of our community is, you know, low income, poverty class, uh, elders, mostly veterans of color. Uh, You know, opiates are free at the VA, antidepressants are free at the VA. Uh, jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge is free. So we you know, desperately need free cannabis products. Um, so our discussion, 10-minute cannabis distribution and education, and then a 20-minute guided meditation. Uh, it's called I Rest Yoga Nidra. Uh, personally changed my sleeping life. And so in the first part of the class, we'll sometimes laugh, excuse me, In the first part of the session, we'll laugh a lot and sometimes cry. And in the second part of the class, we'll sometimes snore. And if I could hit all three of those emotions in the 90 minutes, it's it's a celebration. Super cool. Super cool. So how long have you been doing these, this, this 90 minute structured class? Yeah, I started at Harborside Health Center in Oakland. Uh, We called the program Harborside Heroes. And I did that for two and a half years, Um, left there in 2016 and started Operation EVAC and on Memorial Day in 2016. Um, So about a little over five years and nearly 600 uh, social support groups I've facilitated. Wow. So the most recent laws that have been passed, are are we now allowed to give non-taxable charity marijuana? Has that been passed? 
Yes, uh, that was recently implemented on March 1st. And it, it took us uh, like almost three years to make that happen. You know, before Proposition 64 was implemented, we were under the Prop 215 rules and you know, charitable compassion, you know, it was called the Compassionate Use Act. And so this compassion piece, the charitable exchange of non-commercial cannabis products was a big part of our California culture. Um, and I knew that it put compassion at risk, Proposition 64, um, and I still advocated for it and I still voted for it, even if it put my specific business model at risk. Um, and why? Because, you know, veterans in Utah and Tennessee and Texas and Louisiana, you know, they're depending on California to lead with progressive policy. And we can't wait for a perfect bill because these veterans are leaving their families, their communities, their churches, their networks to come to California to often sleep in their car just to have access to cannabis. So I believe that it was the right thing to do to make that sacrifice for the greater good. And then I also believe that uh, we would be able to change it. We'd be able to fix it. Um, and we, we did great. You know, a couple of years ago, um, we passed the state assembly nearly unanimously. We passed the state senate nearly unanimously. And then Governor Brown vetoed it. And comrade, I'll be honest with you, that was a tough loss for me. Um, I even thought about, you know, self-immolation, lighting myself on fire. Um, I even, you know, I, I called like some suicide hotline and I, I kind of stumped the lady because self-immolation is a different kind of suicide. It's not from like depression. It's, it's activism. It's protest. Um, but, you know, ultimately I didn't do that. And uh, we were able to, you know, finally get it through again. And then Governor, News Governor Newsom signed it. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're active. Uh, we did, you know, most of our donations have all been, you know, under the table, so to speak. Um, and we did uh, receive our first compliant, you know, lab tested cannabis donation uh, here recently. And you're saying March 1st of this year. Yeah. So literally we're in, in within a month, we're talking. Brand new ago. territory, brother. Wow. And honestly, like, when the governor signed it, uh, I think it was back in like late September, October, I, it didn't really hit me. You know, it didn't really like sink in. And that's kind of part of my like anxiety issue is like the inability to find like and experience joy in the moment. It's always like, okay, boom, target, you know, finished. What's the next target? Right. What, what, what's next? What do we do next? Um, but I'm very similar with that, man. I'm very yeah, similar. It's, it's, I think it comes from a hyper focus or, you know, kind of we're we're always, we're on go. So even when we get to a peak, we're right back into, into the run. Totally, man. And, you know, I think things like capitalism kind of influence that, right? Like stay busy, stay productive, be efficient, you know, and it's, it's, it works. It works for the capitalists. To touch back on your uh, goal when you originally said about suicide prevention, I heard you say, quote, you said, being in the veteran suicide business prevents my own. 
And then you followed that up with a, a line that I really liked that you said, you have a toe in the darkness. Mm. <laughs> and that shit resonated with me, man, because it's, it's often, you know, the ones who have to stand the straightest, our backs hurt the worst. Mm. You know? Yeah, man, it's true. And, you know, to be honest with you, the reason why I started doing this work, uh, it's because I had this misperception that I didn't do enough in the military. Right? I was stationed in Okinawa, Japan. I deployed to, deployed to Brunei, Bali, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Philippines, Hong Kong, Thailand, Australia, and Korea twice. Uh, but I didn't mention Afghanistan and I didn't mention Iraq. And those are the top two places that everyone asks me about when I self-identify as a veteran. So I allowed that lack of combat experience to misinform me of an unfulfilled military career. Uh, and that manifested itself in the way of you know, depression napping, comfort eating, excessive pornography use, ripping out my toenails, alcoholism, obesity. I got up to 285 pounds, uh, failed careers, failed relationships, on and on and on. Um, and, you know, just through a lot of work, exercise, cannabis, I achieved like a, a certain level of healing. And then the act of service to my community got me to an even higher level of healing. Uh, and then psychedelics really just blasted me off in this space in terms of healing. I'm but glad, was, that, I'm glad yeah, that you view it like that because I, f I feel like for you, the battles now, right? You're your day-to-day -day is that battle, this, this fight that you're doing for these veterans, man. God bless you for that. And I just, I got to commend you because that's some real shit for real. Yeah, life. man. I mean, thank you. And like, you know, that toe in the darkness thing, that's been with me since I was a kid, right? Like suicide has always been my first option in terms of crisis management. You know, you get a bad report card, you let down your family. You know, if I'm not around, I don't have to manage this crisis. And so even as up to recently as like last year, you know, I got fired from this job. Boom. First thought, psh, driving to traffic. Um, and then, you know, once you kind of take that option off the table, then you start getting down to really like solving the problem. Right. And so, yeah, it's, I think I'm well versed to help folks off the ledge because I've spent so much time myself on the ledge. Wow. I hear you talk about different tools you use to combat that before. Um, psychedelics, obviously, cannabis, exercise, meditation. So, and I'm sure you have other things when it comes to diet, vitamins, whatever it may be. Um, I want to start kind of picking some of that apart. Uh, meditation, because I'm fascinated by meditation. And I just, I've heard you speak about Wim Hof before. I've done his breathing methods. I get a high when I do it. I think the first time I ever did it or the first few times I did it, I was able to hold my breath for almost two minutes and it made wow. me feel like a superhero. I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm tapping into like some superhero shit right now. And then totally. it's a high, but one thing with me that I'm working on is uh, habits. Mm. So I will do that, but I won't do it as consistent as I need to. And the universe will force me into areas that, I'll be forced to work out. I'll be forced to worry about my health more. And I try to keep those habits going. And it's an idea of just being disciplined 
so much and meditation is one of the things that I want to get better at doing. Um, do you have a regimen that you do for meditation or what is your kind of attack plan on say day to day or week by week? What, what do you, what do you kind of do for meditation? No, that's a great, great question. And, you know, I think meditation is the best practice for challenging psychedelic experiences, but that's really just one micro example that we can apply to the macro experience of life. Right. If it's it's gonna chill me out during a trippy experience, it's probably gonna just chill me out in day-to-day -day life also. Um, so because of our Operation Evac practice, I meditate like minimum three times a week. Right. It's just it's every Monday night, Wednesday night, and Saturday morning. Um, and then beyond that, I will, you know, I saw a TED talk that said uh, 10 mindful minutes, right? Where meditation is not necessarily about controlling your thoughts or emptying your mind. It's about observing a thought arrive, observing how you respond emotionally to it, and then observe that thought leave and another one arrives and then more emotions come up from it. And then boom, you just keep you know, repeating that cycle. Um, and since it was, you know, 10 mindful minutes, I try to do at least 20 minutes whenever I just sit in silence by myself. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned sit in silence, but that silence just comes from me, right? Not speaking, not humming, not anything. Um, but, you know, the world isn't really silent, right? You got birds chirping, you got traffic, horns honking. Uh, and, you know, it's easy to meditate in your bedroom or, you know, in some monastery on top of a mountain. But, you know, meditating with distractions is, uh, they call it adding fuel to the fire, adding, adding wood to the fire, right? It's, it's going to help, you know, strengthen your ability to focus and avoid those distractions. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Wim Hof. Uh, the first time I tried it in uh, Spain, you know, I left my body and, you know, it wasn't very long, you know, that duration of, you know, leaving my body just cause it kind of freaked me out and I kind of snapped out of it. Uh, but yeah, it's super powerful. And, you know, these like psychedelics, for example, they're really, they're only unlocking what's already within us and the breath and meditation can certainly take you to those places also. Super dope. So let's transition to the psychedelics now. I don't mean to jump around. I know I got you for limited time, man. So I'm just I trying did. to dig it all to it. Uh, like I said, this is half just for my curiosity too. So I've, my experience with psychedelics, I've taken mushrooms once in my life. How much? Um, very small amount. If I had to say, I mean, I don't know gram wise, but it was like two little caps. Okay. Two little, yeah. Two sure. little nuggets. And very light dose, uh, first time I ever did it, me and a couple of friends, and it changed my life. I mean, mm. when I did it, I had a crazy experience, um, not to go into it too much, but I had my future self to come to me and tell me the secret of what life is. And the answer was love. Mm. But he couldn't explain it to me in our words because we don't have, the humans don't have the vocabulary. So he had to draw a parallel. He, he told me a parallel. This is what it's like. Mm. And it was a, a whale going through an infinite ocean and that whale is our soul. Okay. Mm. And the goal of going through this infinite ocean is to get to the source point. Some mm. people call it heaven, the feeling of love that all righteous feel like just that 
energy that we came from. Yes. That's what that whale is headed towards. And mm. the little fish, you know how out in the wild, the whales have the little fish that kind of hang on the side. Right. Those are our meat bodies. Mm. And just as those come and go off the big whale, sometimes the big whale doesn't even notice. Sometimes oh. there's multiple fish on it. And um, the That's whale just keeps going. And this was like, when I took mushrooms, this was like, wow. it, it, it wasn't like he was telling me, like my future self being he, it wasn't like my future self was telling me, he became me and I just knew, and I was able to regurgitate it to my friends. So Dude, I got, like, this <laughs> bro, it was, so it was amazing. And it changed my life because it made me think of love different. It made me care about my family more. It just, mm. it just made me transition into a different person even if it was by a few degrees, those yeah. degrees were macro, you know, when okay. it came to spiritually. And I haven't done it since, not because I don't want to. Um, it's always been my access. It's always been just life. As it's, I've never been um, immersed in it enough. But in the past few months, the year or so, I've been really wanting to open up more when it comes to mushrooms other psychedelics that's partly where my curiosity to talk to you is too because for me i think i really started wanting to do it more is when just going through different life situations and finally finding my own place to deal with depression which was an exercise so i started working out i started running and i picked up muay thai muay thai like saved me bro like it was it was where i got all everything out just hitting those pads working with the guys it was a different world so I, I go here, uh, Moreno Muay Thai Academy in LA, and it's great. I love those guys. Nice. And that started opening my mind in ways. Just the exercise, just the running with no music sometimes, just the thinking, just this, how I would feel afterwards. It was it added to my growth spiritually, mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. though it was a physical thing, you know what I mean? It was adding to, because I feel like I was meditating when I was running in a way, you know? So I finally started itching, itching more and more to, um, experiment with these psychedelics just hearing so much more i want to learn more about microdosing and just the different psychedelics in general i don't know much about the ayahuasca right. um i don't know is dm you can tell me maybe in your answer to if dmt is considered any of these things but just mushroom has been my only experience but for someone like me who's just look i'm, I'm looking to start microdosing and i want to have that same feeling when i had took those mushrooms i want to open that door i just cracked it you know so i'm ready to really get open that door and walk into that room beautiful man it's great medicine absolutely it it really like changed my life absolutely uh saved my life in in certain aspects i'm, I'm glad you mentioned dmt that was my first experience with psychedelics um and yeah it was blast off you know had a blindfold on basically the fabric of the universe was revealed to me the interconnectedness of everything right we are we are not independent we are interdependent on each other um, and so that was in january two years ago and then march was lsd and that was just profound energetically i could really sense and perceive things totally differently um, I, I fell in love with like the working class folks, right? During that experience. Uh, and then June was the venom of the Sonoran Desert Toad, which is NNDMT. 
and or excuse me uh, 5-MeO DMT and that was an experience in practicing death uh, completely you know ego death ascended to that source that you're talking about that heaven I'm glad you mentioned that real quick and not to cut you off but I mm. had ego death written in my notes so can you um, I'll just tell me that idea of ego death real quick what is that yeah, so, you know, we were in the middle of the Mendocino Forest uh, on some, you know, mattresses and tapestries, and we had this little ceremony, little prayer, right? And then when I, you know, consumed it, you hit it for 10 seconds, then hold it for 10 seconds, and as I was exhaling, it felt like my body was dissolving, like melting. It felt like I was dying. Like life was over. And really, that's fine. Because wherever I'm going is beautiful. And it was just, you know, it was white out. I couldn't see anything. It was just white. And it was just warm. And it was just, just cozy and relaxing and just sensational. And then like a drop of ink in water like in my peripheral, in the corner of my eye, in the corner of my vision, there was like this black space, you know, and all this white, there's a little, little drop of black. And it kind of gave me this impression that, you know, it could go to a dark place. So I made the decision. I said, well, let's go dark then. And as soon as I made that decision, that white warmth shifted to black and it was cold and dark and scary and uncomfortable and just miserable. And I'm, I'm writhing on these mattresses, just reaching out, just regretting that go dark decision. And I'm like, you know, release, relax, allow, release, relax, allow, release, relax, allow, just trying to repeat that mantra. And then at one point my, my finger trembled. And when that happened, a little bit of light came through this black. And then I, my finger trembled some more, a little more light, more, a little more light. And then I started slapping my hands on these mattresses. And then pow, 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 pow. More and more light, 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 boom. And then I'm awake. I'm basically reborn, right? And I'm connected to everything. The trees, the bugs, the birds, the people. They call it the God molecule, right? And I looked at the shaman dude and I said, whoa, like, this is why you do this. Like, holy shit. And I, you know, I, I went off of the mattresses and I, I felt like I wanted to get in the dirt. You know, I, I asked him if I could get naked. I took my shirt off. If my belt buckle was easier to manage, I would have been completely out there just nude. And just this power, right? And then, so after that, that, experience i felt this love and this love was divinely curated precisely for my specific need and this was the love of snipers in the forest i could i could feel them looking at me through their scopes this was the love of special forces commandos you know combat door kicking pipe hitting warriors and the love that i felt from them informed me that as a non-combat non-infantry veteran 
that I'm enough and that those guys are proud of me and I'm complete and I'm worthy and I'm whole. And so I, I, I didn't have to wear that backpack of guilt that I didn't do enough. I could, I let that go. And then it also made me feel like it's my responsibility to help other non-combat, non-infantry veterans feel like they're enough too, just as they are. And then we can also extend that just to human beings, right? Anybody that's feeling that, that void, that gap. And so just the final kind of takeaway from that experience was all life, humans, plants, animals, fungus, all life comes from one single source. We are all one. It's not you and me, it's we. I'm God, you're God, just different expressions of God. And then the second takeaway from that was the universal communication between all of that, between everything, is just like you said, love. So anything that takes me away from this idea that we're all one, and anything that brings me away from a position of love is a lie or my ego, right? Just fucking with me, basically. Damn, man. That's, that's heavy. And that whole toad experience is like 20 minutes, 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the crazy thing to me is how from these literally chemicals to molecular signaling off of different things that go on your brain gives us these experiences. And just as you said, meditation form, different forms of meditation can bring about similar experiences. It's got to be that untapped zone, right? It's got to be the thing that they're going to look, if humans are around in a thousand years, they're going to look at us and be like, man, they, they didn't even know. So some of them knew, but it was right there. It was right there for us. And it's in our dreams. It's in our, in our plants and our animals and the fungus. It's, it's in us. It's, it's everywhere, man. Yo, and I think like if human beings are to meet the challenges of the present and of the future, we're going to need to evolve as a species. And these plants are here to help us, help us accelerate that evolutionary process. Just since you said that evolutionary process, real quick, do you subscribe to that um, stoned ape theory? Is that is that the right theory? Yeah, I think it's, it's certainly interesting, right? There's certainly... Um, it's interesting that our our brains like grew at such a quick rate. At and the theory is that like we ate mushrooms at some point in early human history, and that kind of shifted our consciousness to what that big that big change was. Exactly. Started using tools, right? Started uh, growing and evolving at a at a faster rate. Tapping into these realms, right? A group of people that have already tapped into that realm uh the indigenous folk healers right the those native americans who were and it's crazy to think that not that long ago it's in relative time it's a blip away that they were living on this land living in that way it's just so it's eerie and it's amazing you know i, I love that man and i love that you mentioned that and also you, earlier you said access right and that's sort of, you know, when I'm out here advocating and, and speaking about these things, I'm sort of the, the access guy, right? So while we're appropriating indigenous healing practices and while we're commodifying sacred plant medicines, how do we avoid bourgeoisie healing circles and trickle down consciousness? 
how do we prioritize vulnerable communities? Are ceremony providers giving scholarships? Are they giving sliding scale sort of payment options? Are consumers of ceremonies willing to pay more to bring somebody to the, the table that, that couldn't afford it otherwise? Because all of those medicines and ceremonies that I received were gifts or scholarships because I couldn't afford them otherwise. And so like you, I'm interested in ayahuasca. I'm interested in iboga. I pray that these medicines find me. And I feel like I have to honor the path that has been kind of provided for me in that, you know, I won't pay for them. It's an interesting space when you start talking about medicine as commodities and, you know, and we get into this corporation uh, bureaucracy conversation, you know, that's what it kind of boils down to in the end, which is, it all adds up to numbers. The same, the same reason healthcare for other avenues, other medicines are already fucked up. Right. And it's, totally. you know, and we can just look to like the mistakes that the cannabis community has made in legalization. Right. And so there is this sort of um, aspiration, I guess, in the psychedelic community that, you know, the commodification of these plant medicines are to be avoided at all costs, right? And people are really aggressive about it. And I think it's a little naive to think that in the United States of America, which is the epicenter of corporatization and, and capitalism, I think it's naive to believe that those forces will be somehow resistible in, you know, Babylon, basically. You, you get into a healthcare question almost, right? Or, a health, or how to, not necessarily distribution, but now you have financial institutions involved and it gets, it gets very, very icky, icky, very quick. And that's, that's what you're out here doing, man. You're fighting the good fight against Thank all you, that. Brother. Thank you. And like, I don't know, that icky feeling, Honestly, brother, like, that's just how I feel about America. Yeah. Right? You mentioned the Native Americans, right? Like, this country was built on genocide. It's, you know, economic power was built on slavery, right? And so the, the foundations of this country are corrupt and white supremacist. And so, like, honestly, brother, I don't know if there's any redemption that's available for this country. Right? I think we should just fucking burn it down and start over again. Yeah. I mean, I've always, be being Pakistani, I was born in Pakistan, but I came here when I was two years old. For some reason, just the way I've always felt, um, not anything that was necessarily forced on me, but it might have been through different psychological things that have happened, felt like a second class citizen. So I mm -hmm. never subscribed to voting or those type of things, even though, say, my siblings may have. But I had an interesting conversation with my brother the other day. And he said, nah, man, you got to vote. You know what, why you got to vote? I was like, why I got to vote? He said, because of the soldiers. He hmm. said, they fight. He said, don't fight. He said, not for anything else. Just do it for them. And he was really drunk. And he's just kind of like half-assed. It's like, do, do it for the troops, man. They're fighting for your vote. So, totally. and, and I just never heard it put to me that way. And yeah. I think the reason I bring that up is trying to separate this idea of politics, bureaucracy, and capitalism mm. and all these negative things and separate it from the things that we're talking about when it comes to medicine, morals, uh, anti-anxiety, 
things, right. you know, that are more spiritually connected. And it's so crazy. Like I said, Icky, when you start right. messing all these worlds together and I agree, man, it's, you know, brother, like I'm a pretty radical, like leftist and I don't know. I just get the sense that institutions like voting and public comment provide for the illusion of proletariat participation. Like, okay, citizen, here you go. Here's your vote. Here's your fake win or you, okay, what citizen. You think? Yeah. Yeah. Here's your two minutes. And that's okay, why here. I haven't voted. I'm not going to go wait in line for hours for right. something that I don't feel like represents right. me or I'm yeah. not being represented. And I don't know, like, in, you know, your brother, it sounds like the American propaganda machine has, has worked, right? To think that, oh, the troops are fighting for your rights and your constitution. Are we? Or are we really fighting for oil? Yeah, and, and that's, that's the, ter the termination after some pondering that I kind of thought about it. Because initial, initial when he said it, I was thinking, okay, it was my morals and my feelings for the troops immediately. That was like, all right, you know what? I'm on their side, right? But then thinking upon it more, I was like, you know, he is right. But at the end of the day, the strings that are being pulled, if there's lives lost and it's, you know, by what means, for what, for what goals. And that's right. where I kind of ended where I started, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think there's things like the electoral college, for example, that serve as an intermediary between your democratic rights and the actual elected official. Right. And so I think that the, the real valuable part about voting, you know, if we're going to call it valuable or, or search for something that's valuable in it is, you know, the local stuff, right. The local municipality stuff that, that is on the ballot. You know, that's, I think what we have the biggest impact on, um, but you know, national level and things like that. Yeah. I think, Presidents are selected, not elected. I agree. Man, um, so I want to talk about Operation EVAC a little bit more, bring it full circle. Mm. So what you're doing with this initiative, this way of helping these veterans, it got me to thinking, are there other countries that are doing these type of things for their mm. veterans? it's sort of an indigenous healing practice in so far as, you know, indigenous communities have ceremonies and rituals to welcome home their warriors and to distribute that burden of warfare among the village. And so America, you know, does a great job at sending troops to war. We don't do as well of a job at welcoming them home. And so, you know, that's what we're doing is welcoming home the troops, trying to integrate them into our community, right? And so, you know, we think about other countries, you know, first off, there is no country that is as militaristic as the United States of America. And that burden is born on less than 4% of the population that wears the uniform. And let's be honest, it's mostly the lower socioeconomic class. Um, and so it's really, you know, the 96%, uh, it's, it's their responsibility. It's their moral obligation to welcome home their warriors if 
they don't do a better job at just stopping war. See, because the best thing that you can do for veterans is to stop creating them, right? Bring every troop home now. There's no reason we need to be out in Afghanistan killing people living in mud huts, right? That make, you know, $100 maybe a year type shit, right? There's no reason we need to be out there killing poor brown people all over the world. I'm glad you brought up the indigenous healers again, because it is, it's all rooted in a faith, right? It's all Mm -hmm. rooted in this deeper, deeper idea of what, I can't really put a word on it because I'm, I'm still trying to learn. I'm, I just think it's so fascinating the way that these indigenous people lived. And like I said, not that long ago, you know, and like you said, that even I didn't even put two and two together that the idea, the same way they would welcome their warriors home. It's, it's all very, very similar. And, and, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, U S history textbooks, right. These were the savages. Right. And the, and the European colonists brought, you know, civilization. And it's really like if we look at it critically, like who are the real savages? Right. The folks, you know, we gave Native Americans blankets that were intentionally infused with smallpox, you know, germ warfare. And, you know, these are the blankets that they wrap their babies in. And this is what we did. This is the, the, that blood is on our hands. And so, you know, to think about things like coronavirus or COVID-19, bruh, it's karma. Karma. That's why we got the most deaths and most infected folks in the world. Karma. The, the earth pushing back. That's what I said. This is the, the earth pushing back on all, all the bad. Yeah, man. Here it, we are. I mean, it, I mean, it makes perfect sense that the balance that's in nature, right? The way the processes, the procedures that's out there, just that mother nature puts into place are so godlike precision, almost with tweezers processes put in place that we only have scratched the surface of what we think we know about it, right? So who's not to think that the earth wouldn't start pushing back at us, you know, pollution, even the energy from mass incarceration, genocide, all these things that you have named, right? right. It's, it's all a fucking cycle, mm. who, you know? And who's to say this hasn't happened time and time and over again? And we, we, we just don't know enough. We know, right. I know enough to know I know nothing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's very uh, Socratic. Um, but, you know, I was listening to this podcast and this lady said that uh, she took an uh, iboga, iboga medicine, and she basically met God. And she asked God a question. She said, God, why do bad things happen? And God snatched her up and took her out to the edge of the universe and then invited her to turn around and look, look back. And God said, you know, what do you see? And she said, balance, right? Everything is balanced. And yes, he said, God said, yes, bad things happen because good things happen. And so, yes, pandemics are a way for the earth, for nature to restore balance. Here we are. 
Wow. That makes spooky sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're in an interesting time right now, man. Like we're, both of us are quarantined a day. I don't even know what day it is at this point. It's just, we're, we're, we're hunkered down and we're hoping for the best preparing for the worst. It'll be interesting. I don't know if interesting is the right word, but mm-hmm. I'm anticipating some progression from all this. When we get out of this, are we going to look at things different? Are we going to feel different? Are we going to start caring more about our health? Are we going to start caring more about being prepared in other avenues, if, whether it's healthcare, whether it's financially? Does it, you know, for me, I was in bed the other day and um, I was watching like how to gut a deer, cow, all those type of things, you know, just my, my girl's laughing. I mean, what are you watching this for? Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to get familiar a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, it makes you think of like the grassroots things you need to be able to do. Well, and really, I, I love what you're talking about, man, about like, you know, what's going to happen after this. And I love how you're talking about, you know, habits. And I heard somebody refer to this experience that we're having as a sacred pause, right? Everything's slowing down. We have an opportunity to to take a breath. And yes, for me, it's about uh, recognizing my habits, recognizing my patterns. You know, I was mostly raised by the TV and video games. And well, here I am again, I noticed, oh, I watched all the Ozarks. I watched this whole Tiger King thing. Uh, I'm, I'm playing Call of Duty on my phone for hours. Like, and I realized, oh shit, here I am again in these habits. And so, you know, recognizing the pattern is about, you know, 49% of it. But having the actual discipline to disrupt the pattern and introduce a new habit and a new pattern, like that's where the work is. And so, you know, yes, I'm changing. And, you know, like, for example, I got the, the, the notification that Supreme had a new drop. Right. And then I just realized like how absurd this is. Right. And, you know, and I don't, I'm not a baller, you know, I don't make a lot of money. And so I I have to be mindful of, you know, what stupid shit am I spending money on? Right. And yes, should I be building a garden in my backyard? Should I be building like a, a water filtration system? Right. These are the things that are certainly important. However, as a species, right? As a community, brother, I wish I had more faith in humanity. I think that what we're experiencing is the result of divestment in education, the over-entertained and under-informed population. Uh, Yeah, we got a psychopath in the White House that, you know, we are in like 1984, George Orwell. Um, so, brother, I, I'd like to believe that as a species, we're going to evolve and, and change and, you know, create new economic and political and social systems. No, uh, it's, oh. it's interesting you say that because for me personally, like I'm teetering right on the optimistic or pessimistic side of what happens. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the growing pains, those transition pains, those breaking of those habits, cycles, whatever it is, addictions, those first, you know, couple of moments are, 
And when I say moments, could be months, could be years. But that that initial start on that new path, that's the hardest. And Absolutely. I love that, man. And I believe that the majority of our suffering exists in the space between where we know what we're supposed to do and then we start doing it, right? That space, that delay, right? That's where the majority of our suffering exists. And, you know, we don't even have to wait until we finish doing what we're supposed to do. We just got to get started doing what we're supposed to do to start feeling better, like we're on the right path. And the more that we ignore that intuition and choose the easy way out, the more, you know, karma is going to show us that, you know, you're fucking up, bro. Yeah. And that's why she sat all our asses down. Like y'all got some thinking to do. And that's why, you know, that's why I said, I'm kind of interested or anticipating what comes out of this. Do we make those little changes that we're talking about and those growing pains start? Cause it's going to be hard before it gets better. Right. And, um, I don't know. That's, that's the big question right now is where do we go from here? And it's mm. interesting. We're, we're sitting here watching history but everyone's forced to look at themselves. You know, it's, right. we're, we're all in this together, but like you said, it's, it's very self-reflective time. I love it, man. And, you know, really like I've been meditating on, on death, on, on the death of my mother who is over 70 years old and active cigarette smoker with one and a half lungs from cancer surgery and early stage emphysema. So, you know, I, I'm meditating on the belief that I'm going to lose her through this experience. And sure, it could be considered pessimistic. But I think that if anything less happens than the worst case scenario, then it's, it's a miracle. It's a blessing, right? And so we don't have to have this sort of, you know, manufactured positivity, right? Or just head in the sand optimism. I think it's helpful to think of you know, the worst case scenario, think about death, meditate on death. So here, here's the, the thing, right? So I was thinking, you know, what's the worst case scenario? My parents dying, right? But then I look, dig a little deeper and I think, well, no, the real worst case scenario is, is me dying, right? But then I think of, well, I sort of already practiced death and I'm not really afraid to die. And I'm kind of ready in a lot of ways. So really death isn't even the worst case scenario. It's not even that bad if that's the worst case scenario. And I, I totally get that, man. It's interesting you kind of say that because the first place where I ever heard any type of that idea was, I think I was reading on ninjas. Hmm. And ninjas, they, in their form of meditation, they picture themselves being dismembered. They picture all these things. So it's aware going into battle. And I think that's the same along the same lines is like, you know, just preparing yourself with it. I, I guess embracing that mortality in a way. Um, Absolutely. It's interesting. You talk about that with your mom, because I have like a similar kind of thing, but um, so my dad, he has dementia, he's in a, a retirement home. And it was interesting for me because I didn't know anyone that had dementia nor did I have any friends or family that dealt with it. So it was all new stuff for me. So when he was finally getting, got into a assisted living facility where he's at now, it's not one of the big ones with like a hundred some people. It's, it's a kind of smaller one with just seven or eight people. Nice. He, um, for me, I didn't realize that I was grieving his death then. Mm. 
even though he was alive, I mean, it took me looking back at it afterwards because what happens is that person dies, right? But they're still there. So you don't immediately think about it as death. You know, they're still there, but then you have to kind of, you, you, come, you come to terms with realizing, okay, they are now, that person is never going to be, that person's gone, you know? Right. And then I started um, grieving it in my own ways. That, I mean, it, that was added to my depression, but I was able to, through the exercise and everything, everything kind of come up out of that in a better form. But mm-hmm. also, like you said, ruminating on that, where I started thinking about already, what will I say at my dad's funeral? Mm. Because- I've already kind of felt like he was, he's dead. So I started thinking about the things I want to say when he does die. I love that. man. And, and I, I'll bring that up because it's just so similar to what you're saying about just, you know, I was, mine was a forced reflection, but I think it's important for sure. Absolutely. You know, and, uh, the Stoics had a similar sort of thing that the ninjas did where it's this like memento mori, like remember that you could be dead, you know? And so, anything less than death like you're blessed if you're still breathing you're still in the fight you still have an opportunity and i love this idea of like grieving our family members while they're still alive right because it's it's a way to essentially savor every moment of that experience with them right giving people flowers while they're alive so they can yeah. Yeah. Yes, like I'm I'm hugging my mom, bro, like it's the last time I ever could. Right? And I think that the more that we're mindful of, you know, mortality and death, the better we will manage the grieving process when that eventuality arrives. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's it's just a scary place for most people, right? Because we're so attached Mm. Whether it's material, whether it's emotional relationships, you know, we're just so attached. And that's why I go back to my, my curiosity with psychedelics. It's, it's a detached to a balance, you know, mm. on this spiritual journey. That's the same way I've been kind of doing Muay Thai. And the first day I got in there, man, my feet were all bruised, kicking those pads. Then right. eventually form got better, got a little bit stronger, quicker, got technique down and, it created a different me. Mm. And I, that's how I kind of look at the spirituality because I've always dived here and there with, you know, learning about this religion, learning about that religion, never really immersed myself. My, um, my last name is Ali and my mother is Christian. So mm. we're, uh, we're the under, we're like the 1% under 1% Christians in Pakistan. Wow. So and then growing up in America, I just didn't really have, you know, my best friend was half Catholic, half Jewish in fifth grade. So we, I never, I just looked at religions as these different vessels, you know, mm. and I always just thought there's one God, no matter, you know, I, I came up with that idea pretty young that there's one, everyone's, you know, kind of praying to the same one. They just don't know it yet. And the more older I get that God or, you know, it's, it's shifting from not this human form. That right. we're so used to being associated with, mm. more into the energy, the universal aspect of it all. I love that. You know, humans have a practice of anthropomorphizing our spirituality. Right? God is some white dude with a beard sitting on a cloud playing a harp or some shit. Right? Um, and yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily useful. And it's really, 
it's an egotistical way to look at the world, right? And, you know, it's because we believe that humans are the top of the food chain, which grants us license basically to shit all over the rest of the world in terms of the plants and the animals. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it, that's the ego. When we put, you know, a white dude's face on God, uh, that's, that's the ego, right? Messing with us. Um, and, you know, I, I was an atheist for uh, most of my life, uh, even an anti-theist, where I believe that, you know, if you believed in a God or an afterlife, then one, you're not going to take this life as seriously as you could. And then secondly, if you believe in this divine justice system, then you're not going to fight for justice in this system. But then I went to Standing Rock, North Dakota for the pipeline protest, you know, and, and being from Oakland and, and activism, I'm, I'm familiar with peaceful protest, uh, but that was my first exposure to prayerful protest. And these native folks are just praying on their sacred lands, getting shot with, you know, tear gas canisters and water hoses in the middle of winter. Um, and so that experience really just shifted my spirituality. And, you know, I, I came back a prayerful person. Uh, and, and this was, you know, before the, all the psychedelics, when I got to meet God and all that sort of stuff. So uh, was that your first kind of um, introduction to, you know, indigenous people and really kind of being with them and understanding more about their culture? Yeah, I think so. Um, I did. I think before that, though, I did go to uh, Alcatraz on Thanksgiving. Most people call it Thanksgiving. Um, every year, they have a sunrise ceremony where, you know, tribes from all over the area come out and, you know, there's speakers and dancers and musicians and the big, you know, fire and, you know, like Kaepernick has come out the last couple of years. And uh, it's just a really, you know, and it's, it kind of sucks. Like it's cold and it's dark and it's, it's a sacrifice to, to be out there. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful, just like cleansing sort of experience. I don't want to hype it up too much because then, because then more of these, you know, gentrifiers are going to come out and make it all crowded and shit. But uh, yeah, no, I feel you on that. That'll be the next craze is just finding all the, I guess you're saying it already is in some forms, you know, with the, these bourgeoisie healing circles and that, you know, that's a form of that. Totally, man. And it's, but I mean, I don't know. That's what colonialist mindset folks do is right. Like appropriate shit and, you know, adopt it as our own. Uh, it's fascinating, man. What an exciting time to be alive. To say the least. <laughs> um, you know, when this all kicked off, I forget exactly what day, but it was that Friday, that weekend when everybody rushed for the toilet paper. I'm out front of the grocery store. I have the AM radio on. So there, you know, it's a news feed talking about what's going on. So I see the line out front. I see people panicking. It's just, it's a shit show. And I'm like, here it is. I'm in it. I'm in the movie. Mm. It's, it's fucking here. Dude. And like, honestly, I've always had this sort of belief that I would, kind of witness the end of the world oh shit and that's sort of why i never really got involved in like the rat race that's why i never really got super serious about like starting a family and stuff because i always had this idea that I, i'd witness the end of the world in my lifetime 
I just didn't imagine that I would be so young. Oh, you were hoping you'd be like the, at the end of the rope and just like, yeah, oh, watch along, motherfuckers. Right. <laughs> Damn, but I'm just about to hit 40. I'm it's too I'm too young for all this. Yeah, man. Well, hopefully this isn't hopefully this is the teaser to the <laughs> this is the trailer to, to the main event. Brother, but like you said, man, I think it's gonna get worse before it gets better. I think that you know all of our systems are being laid bare, right? Everything is being stress tested politically, economically, socially. Uh, romantically, right? Our romantic relationships are being, you know, stress tested. And so, you know, not everything's going to make it, I don't think, right? Um, you know, capitalism is built on consumption and, and commerce. And, you know, that's shifting a lot. And we're going into huge amounts of debt. We just, we just did $6 trillion in this whole relief package for big mega corporations and, and defense contractors, but we just denied the U.S. Postal Service? Come on, bruh. Well, that's why Trump didn't want any oversight in it, right? That, that was right. his well, whole and, thing. And you wonder if maybe, you know, FedEx and UPS sort of lobbied to be like, hey, nah, let's not bail out Postal Service. We got this. Yeah, no, it's... It's not surprising by the least, you know, the things that this whole capitalist society is built on, they run on that machine, right? That's how, that's how we get to where we're going in America. And that's why it's, we're such an interesting situation now with the China, with China not being, you know, not being able to get certain goods. We put all our manufacturing over there. It's just very, very, we need to wake up from this fucking nap. Mm deep deep i'm not gonna say it's a nap we motherfuckers been asleep <laughs> for a uh, long long minute well that's the the question right is like have you heard about the the, the frog in the boiling water right if you throw if you no, throw a frog me. in a pot of boiling water it'll jump out hmm. but if you put a frog in a pot of room temperature water and then slowly turn up the heat that frog will stay put and boil to death. Conditioning, key word, huh? Right? And so, you know, right now, the government is doing a lot of things to reduce our civil liberties. They're putting through bills to get rid of uh, encryption on your phone, whether it's iMessage or WhatsApp or Signal app. Uh, they're doing a lot with firearms. Um, you know, there's a, a political phrase, I think it was Churchill or something that said, like, uh, never fail to take advantage of a crisis, mm. right? And so, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to, you know, I think if they try to take all these things away at once and institute martial law, then yeah, that would be the throwing the frog in the boiling water. But yo, we had the Patriot Act like 20 years ago. Yeah, and if they say, hey, you got to wear masks and then now you got to get this vaccine and hey, only age 20 to 40 can go outside. And yeah, it's conditioning, hey, bro. It's, it's get, on this, get on this bus. We're going to take you to the FEMA camp, right? Like stand by. It's another quote. I can't remember who said it, um, but they said anyone who's willing to give up security for freedom deserves neither or something mm -hmm. along those lines. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, that's why, 
in these times, people who hold tight, they're looked at as just hardcore, right? They're mm-hmm. like, they're looked at as extremists or radical, radical, you know, but really it's just, no, you're radical by getting ready to give up all your shit. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it is interesting. You know, it's, it's sort of a dichotomy. Uh, you know, you mentioned China earlier and, you know, because China doesn't have the civil liberties that we do, they were able to, you know, flatten that curve really faster. So it's, it's interesting, you know, like, is democracy the optimal way, you know, and, and freedom and liberty, is it optimal for pandemics? I mean, it, it sort of seems like fascism is better for these sort of pandemic situations. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, say on the one side, if I've heard of stories about people who aren't gun owners who went and bought some guns, you know, just people who are relieving all their ideology that they would have prior to this and kind of thinking in dire, in dire times, right? Mm. And that's when, you're, when your back's put against the wall you turn into something else, you know, and you're, you're just worried about survival. Like, thank God we still have food supply right now. Like, you know what I mean? Imagine no food supply. Like totally, man. People you know, I, I went, the streets. I went to the Safeway today and the produce aisle was scary, bro. Damn. Like scary. And I don't know if like, if you've noticed it, but you know, when I'm out here wearing my mask, right. And I'm kind of engaging with the population. It's interesting, man. Like I'm starting to look at people differently. Right. They don't want to be near you. They don't want to touch you. They, right. They're acting weird. They're acting. Am I infected? Are you infected? Yes. Right. And it's like, bro, it's, I think it's our sort of instinctual kind of primal sort of survival ticks coming out. Right. Cause I'm looking at people like, am I going to have to kill you? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's, it's a trip. You know, what, what is kind of, what is this stirring up in us? And it's that tribal, it's that, that caveman coming out, right? It's that you need to survive, you need to eat, you need, and everyone's thinking you need to wipe your ass, I guess. <laughs> Come on, man, you got your left hand and some water, you'll be all right. <laughs> but no, but just that idea of pandemonium, in a sense, you know, this, it's, it's very controlled chaos right now, you know, mm. but it's, it's eerie, you know, we've shifted. It'll never be the same again. And I, and they keep saying the new normal. What's funny about that is like, what is normal? Who sets normal? Is normal just the sign of the fucking times? You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. it's all evolution or de-evolution or, you know, we're, we're going on our human journey to boot up the AI. I don't know. You know what I mean? Totally. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, People always saying like, oh, you know, I can't wait till it goes back to how it was, right? And God willing, we don't, right? Because the way it was is what's got us here now. And so, yes, I think, that, you know, this is an, an exciting time to be alive. And I think that, you know, we can feel despair about a vision of the future that we've had that's dissolved, that's evaporated. We could feel sad and depressed about that, or we can feel curiously excited for the mystery of what's to come. You know, and, and Krishna Murti has one of my favorite quotes. He says, it is no measure of health 
to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. You have to say that one more time for me. It is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Mm. Right? Why have we allowed this ec economic inequality to get out of hand so far? Right? How come Amazon and Google ain't paying no taxes? Right? How come uh, most of the developed world has universal health care? But America, our healthcare is attached to our jobs. And right now we have more people unemployed than ever. And hey, guess what? When more people file for unemployment, guess what else happens? What's that? Suicides. Yeah. And right? that's, that's kind of, you know, maybe this can be one of the last questions I ask you, but until next time, but I want to know in this quarantine, right? You're, you're, you're pointing us in the direction of where we are right now, kind of home, out of work, people who are already fucked up mentally, veterans, you know, citizens, normal citizens alike. Everyone is in a weird space right now. I know me even personally, right? Like my girl last night, she was like, I was like, you are? She's like, yeah, I'm just a little sad. Everything's kind of just weighing on me, you know? And then I kind of realized myself, like, too, is like, I've been, my persona for the last two years or so has already been like, yo, I've been through some shit, so I'm ready to just kind of, nothing's going to be as worse as it's been. So I'm going to hold my, you know, I'm going to stand up straight. Like we were talking about at the beginning, we're going to stand up straight. But those are the people that have so much shit. So I think like this morning, mm -hmm. I really started hitting me like, fuck, like started thinking about my dad, not, not being able to get visitors. You know, the things that I put mm -hmm. in the back of my mind mm -hmm. started coming to the front. And I think that it kind of reflects back on what you had said about reflecting on death, reflecting on the worst of things and not only reflecting on them, but meditate on them. So that mm -hmm. cycle can happen of those thoughts and kind of working through it. And that is where I'm going to try to work on now. So my question is, I guess, what would you say to someone, you know, other than reaching out to either Operation EVAC or their local su suicide prevention organization? What are things that we can do at home mm. right now? Mm. To, you know, like what, overcome depression, prevent to, suicide? Or? Yeah, well, to, to more specifically, I guess I'll give you a broader question, just to keep us engaged, to keep us if we are in poor mental health, whether, whether it's depression or whether you're already diagnosed with not, like bipolar, things of that nature, yeah. or anxiety, people with a high anxiety right now, you know, they're like, I fucking knew it. You know, <laughs> they're like, they're right. Like everything I worried about was right. Right. I'm just like, you know, I, I know it's an in-depth thing when it comes to the true process of getting out, but other than reaching out, what can we do as far as self-reflection self to kind of help help? Yeah. Bingo, right? You, you just said it's that self-reflection. And I think instead of reaching out, we can reach inward, right? We can put our hands on our hearts. We could feel the expansion of our lungs. We could feel the beating of our hearts. And we have an opportunity to better familiarize ourselves with our inner resource, right? That, that spirit, that that part of you that's always been there for you, that part of you that's always just comforted you and informed you that it's going to be okay, right? That 
that part of you that is essentially divine and it it does come from that universal consciousness and in that i think we can find you know safety and security and stability and just and lean into that that stillness right that that has to come from within because what this experience is showing us is that any notion of you know, predictability and security and safety and stillness externally outside of us is a myth. It's an illusion. It is not real. And so if we have that stillness within us, we can meet the chaos and the confusion in peace. Beautiful. That was like a prayer, brother. I, I felt that. <laughs> Damn. Thank you, um, brother. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you for coming and hanging out. How can people support Operation Evac? Thank you. Uh, we do need support uh, for you know things like this, helping create awareness, helping us get the word out. The more that we can do that, the more you know farmers want to donate cannabis to us. The more you know corporations want to donate money to us. Uh, and so, yeah, those are our biggest priorities, awareness, complimentary cannabis products, and, you know, funds, fundraising. And so it, I really appreciate you for offering this platform so that, yeah, we can help foster that awareness, right? Because, you know, these efforts will directly save lives. You know, maybe it won't even be a veteran. Maybe it'll just be somebody that heard the perspectives that we're sharing and the, the positive coping strategies, like you said, exercise, like meditation, like plant medicines and psychedelics and, and, and community, right? I believe I can endure anything with a supportive community. And so, yes, I thank you for, you know, inviting folks to get along or to get involved in our work. Uh, it's opevac.org. I'm Ryan at opevac.org. Um, tap in. Like, yo, and like I said, this is the most militaristic country in the world. And if you're not actively involved in stopping war, then you're complicit, right? If you're filling up your gas tank every week, if you're paying your taxes, you are are directly contributing to the war effort. And so, yes, it's your moral obligation to get involved. It's your moral obligation to integrate warriors back into the community. And we need your help. Amen, brother. God bless, over and out.